Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Their Pitch. As you know, we are a women's football podcast in collaboration with Adidas Football. And when Sweden's new match shirt for the UEFA Women's Euro 2022 in England was launched, the Swedish FA and Adidas also published a guide called How to Stop Sweden. Make sure you check it out on howtostopsweden.com. You'll learn many interesting things about the Swedish national team and the players. In March 2021, Norway captain and Chelsea player Maren Mjelde suffered a nasty injury that saw her sidelined for a long time. Now she's back to lead her country in the Euro 2022. And if, or should I rather say when, she steps out on the pitch in Norway's opener against Northern Ireland on July 7th, that will be her 154th appearance in the national team. In this episode, we talked with Maren about how important the support of family is, what it's like to pick yourself up from an injury and realize that you have to get to know your body enough again to understand how much you can push it. We also talked about the Champions League, the competition in the WSL, and of course a lot more. You are listening to their pitch and this is the Maren Mjelde episode. Ja, yeah. uh, Maren Mjelde. Maren Mjelde, ja. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're here with another episode of the UEFA Women's Euro Special 2022. We're here with Norwegian international, Maren Mjelde. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. We do have a quote here from somebody that knows you very well. So I'm going to read it to you, and then you have to guess who it is. Maren is a person everyone should have in their life. She is incredibly caring and always makes sure that everyone is doing good. She's been an incredibly important person in my life as I have faced many tough challenges. She's a person you can always go to if there's something something wrong. But at the same time, she's a person who steps in if she sees that someone is having a hard time. Morin is very is a very relaxed person, maybe a little too relaxed at times. She is extremely smart and always has wise answers to things. So I often go to her when I wonder about stuff, whether it's football or general things in life. She's my best friend. And playing with her in a backline and defense is a is a security that cannot be described. You notice that when she had been gone with injury, oh, you notice that when she had been gone with injury, she has leadership abilities that a few have. Although she may not be the one who shouts the loudest, but she brings the messages needed and steps forward when the team really needs it. As a defender, Morin is a safe one, while I am the one who takes a little more risks. 
we complement each other very well. Who do you think that is? Yeah, no, when you said the last part, I know who it is. It must be Maria. Yeah. Sorry, Stati. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> it, yeah. Was that when you realized or did you get it before that? Um, I think when she started saying uh, I was her best friend. <laughs> uh, it was a bit in the beginning, but uh, yeah, no. A best friend and the last part with I'm the safe one and she's the risky one. Um yeah, then I realized quick that it was her. Then you knew. Yeah. How how is it to have somebody just write all those nice things about you? Oh yeah, no, it was a lot of nice things. Uh I could probably say the same about Maria. Uh is a reason why we're best friends. Um we played in the same team for many years. Uh unfortunately now we don't, but it's always good to see each other every time we go to camp. So that one week a month is really nice. Uh, but then I haven't really been there for, for some years. Oh, I was going to get almost going to say some years, but one and a half year. Uh, I was out. So yeah, I bet she missed me because I missed her. So <laughs> we're going to come back to the being away part. But first, we want to talk to you about. Do you remember the first time you was called up to the national team? Uh, yeah, I do. I do actually. Um, we had uh, been playing an away game against Klepp, which is actually Maria's old team, um, in Stavanger. Uh, I don't really know the result. I think we won. And then after the game, um, some of the more experienced girls in my team were like, you need to check your phone. I was like, oh, okay, I'll check my phone. And then I had a missed call. Uh, from a number I didn't know and they were like I should probably call back or something and then there was the head coach for the national team saying that he was going to pick me for the next camp uh, so yeah uh, I think that was in 2007 uh, in this after, just after the summer I think it was uh, around September something like that uh, so yeah, I do remember. <laughs> that time you were also playing, you were cap, were you captain of the U17 or were you like, because you were playing with the U17 at the time, right? Back in 2007. I think I was just a bit too old for the under 17. I think it was under 19. I was 17 at the time, but I think I was turning 18 that year. Uh, so yeah, I was with the under 19. Um, yeah. Under 19. How long did it take for you to get that that second call up? Because this was in 2007. That's when you made your debut in 2007. Yeah, no, you're right. It took me over a year, I think, to get the next call up. Because uh, this was, I think it was the last camp of the year or something that I went to in 2007. Uh, and then I didn't have any call up before like the next year, exactly, in 2008. Um probably around the same month. I don't know if it was September, October in Russia, but I didn't play that game. I just came for training and was on the bench for the game. So I didn't play at all that year. Do you remember your debut though? The first time you stepped on the field wearing the Norwegian crest? Yeah, I do. I do remember because um, it was me and another one from the under 19 team. Both of us were picked for that camp. Uh, and we played the same position, really, both centre-backs. Um, and then I remember, I think that was also against Russia, but it was, was against Russia at home. 
And I think we were 3-0 up maybe or 2-0 up and one of our center backs got injured. And I just remember I don't really want to play center back because it's more like a risky or you have the responsibility. I was like, maybe not the first game I want to be playing center back. Uh, but then he was like, no, no, you're coming on. I think I came on as a winger. And my friend from the under 19, Marita Skamelsrullen, she played for LSK for many years. Uh, I think she came on as a midfielder. So both were centre backs, but we came in in different positions, which was probably good because the team was doing well. I think we won 3 0. So it was a good game to do our debut in. Because at the time you were 17, but when you started playing football, how, how did that come about? Uh, yeah, no, my my older brother, he he's been playing football since he was a baby, I would say. My dad as well. Uh, so every time my older brother went for training or my dad went for his training, I just came along. Um, I was either watching or I was trying to join in. So I think I was like a pain in the ass sometimes for both of them. Um, but I think that's how I started and how I got really interested in football. And then like every weekend, um, my brother and all his mates and my dad were watching the Premier League. So I joined in and watched Premier League with them. And I think I knew, like I knew more then almost than I do know now about the Premier League because I was watching all the games I could. I knew all the players um so yeah I really got interested in it and then I think it was around when we started school around six years old my dad started a football team um so yeah it was but there was no girls playing it was only me and one other girl that was playing so we didn't have a girls team so I had to I had to play with the boys from I was six to fifteen seems like that kind of changed between having to play with with boys at the time when when you were younger has kind of switched because I'm I don't know what what year are you born uh 89 89 okay so I was born 96 and that's we had a full-on girls team when I played when I was younger so I never played with boys and they couldn't when when you scored a good goal and they would go talk to it the boys looked at you they'd be like "Mm, well try to do it again you can't do it I'm like okay you know what? Move on. Move along. Move along. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's good. I think now, like when I, when I watch like younger girls play, they are playing in a girls team because more and more girls are playing. But I'm from a really, or I'm from a small place, so where I was living, no one really played. But then after a couple of years, they do start. They did start up a, a girls team. But then I had already been playing for like three, four years. So for me to train with them was a step down for me. Um, and then I, even though I was only nine years old, I got really frustrated because I wanted to win uh, and I wanted to do well. And of course, the girls that had just started, they needed time to to become good. Uh, so yeah, I think I played with them maybe for one season before I changed back to the boys team that I had been playing with. Yeah, they, they they create those winning mindsets at a young age. I tell you that. <laughs> I hated losing, too. Yeah. But if we're talking about growing up, who were your football idols growing up? You say that you've watched a lot of Premier League. Uh, yeah, so my family's always been Liverpool fans, and especially my older brother. <laughs> 
so uh, growing up uh, I watched all the Liverpool games um, my older brother Eric he was um, a big fan of uh, Robbie Fowler that was his and then I wanted to because you always copy your older siblings so you often do so I was like oh yeah he's my favorite player as well and he was like no you can't you need to have someone someone else and I was like, okay, then. And then I found Stan Collymore really interesting. Uh, probably not the best role model, uh, but I thought he was really good at football. Uh, so he was my, uh, <laughs> my uh, favorite player, I would say, uh, in the beginning. And I remember when he uh, left Liverpool, I was crying because I was really emotional about him leaving. But then soon after, it was more Steven Gerrard that has been my uh, favorite player until he stopped playing. Did you have any other role models outside of football that you look up to? Mm, I think I was really like obsessed about football and that was my thing. But then I think also my older brother was playing. So I really looked up to him because he was the one that was taking me everywhere. He was the one teaching me different things and, and stuff. So I, I really looked up to him as well. So I would say it's probably just footballers that have been my idols growing up. And how, how proud is he now of you now that you're a professional footballer playing for your country and Chelsea? Yeah, no, he's really proud. Uh, when we were younger, he was the one that everyone knew who was he played for some of the top teams in Norway he was always in the youth national teams when he was younger but he never played for the seniors um and then I think when I moved to Chelsea I think then he realized how big um because he's always been watching me play he's always come to all of my games so he's really like been a fan of like seeing what we do and how much we put into football and our training and, and stuff. So he is always known and he's been trying to tell his mates, like, come and watch. They are, they are good. You should come. Uh, but then I think after I signed for Chelsea, I think my whole family realized like, this is, this is huge. Uh, signing for one of the biggest clubs in the world and the facilities, like that day when I signed, it was just when I called my mom and dad and my whole family that day, they were like, oh, wow. Like, I don't think anyone realizes what you are doing right now, like how big this is. Um, and then I have I have a picture of him from this weekend when we won the league. And and he got to, I gave him the medal just to so he could have it around his neck. And I took a picture of him and I don't think I've ever seen him that proud because he was like, this is the closest thing I've come to winning Premier League. Uh, so just that look on his face made me realize like how, how big it is for my family and how proud they actually are of me. Obviously, that, that meant a lot to your brother. But what does it also mean to you to play for Norway and represent your country? Yeah, I had that question not long ago, actually. Uh, and I think uh, more recent, I've realized how much it actually means to me. Just just to play football in general, how much that actually means to me. Like, it's been my life for so many years. And um, being the captain of my country, the, like thought of leading my team and my country out on the pitch uh, in the Euros like it is it's a good feeling it's something good to think about and something that inspires me and motivates me 
every day, really. Um, so yeah, I would say I'm really proud. Uh, and, uh, it's some, like, it's a big honor for me. Does it always feel as special when you put on the shirt? Yeah, it does because you don't do it often. Um, and you know, when you put it on, you get ready in the tunnel waiting to walk out. You're standing there. The national anthem is coming. You're singing like it is. Yeah. It makes you really proud to represent your own country. Um, so yeah, I would say every time is really special. And you've done it 151 times. <laughs> Yes, I have. <laughs> That's a lot of games and a lot of special moments. Yeah, it's many, many games. Um, and I think probably from my first one till the second one was a long break. And from my 150th till my 151st was a long break. But all the other games, I think, has been quite consistent uh, over a period of maybe 12 years. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of games. I can't remember all of them, but I have a really good memory. So I think I would be able to remember a lot of the games and especially a lot of the good moments, but also, yeah, bad moments. So we can start with what's your best moment or memory with the Norwegian national team so far? We'll start there. Uh, yeah, it's hard to just choose one. Um, we've already been talking about my debut. Um, but I think, uh, I think maybe winning the semi-final in the Euros 2013 is a game that would always be really special to me. Um, qualifying for the final of the Euros on a penalty shootout. Um, probably that and, um, Semi, no, I'm not another semi final, but um, the penalty shootout against Australia in the World Cup is a standout moment as well. Um, there is a lot of them, but I think uh, they're probably top top three. The one, the three I've mentioned with the with the penalties. Everything involves a penalty shootout. Yeah. Do you like the penalty shootout? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite thing. But I think the feeling you have after winning a penalty shootout is probably one of the best feelings because um, you feel such a relief and uh, the adrenaline, the stress you've been going through. There's so many things. You've, you've been playing 120 minutes. Uh, there's just so many things. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, it's a really good feeling winning penalty shootouts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's uh, we'll we'll go through the hard stuff. What what's your well one of your least favorite moments on playing for your national team that you can remember? Uh, yeah, there's been there's been some, of course. Uh, I think every time you uh, lose in a tournament and you get knocked out. Um, Against England uh, in the World Cup 2015, where we were 1-0 up, I think. Um, I felt we had control of the game and then everything just suddenly changed. And yeah, the score was 2-1 and then suddenly you're going home. <laughs> 
it's just like a bit brutal feeling when you when you have a good feeling everything turns around and then you're on the plane home the next day then probably the hardest one of them all is the Euros in 2017 in in Holland when we didn't win a game we didn't score a goal we conceded a lot of goals I think and uh, not a lot but we conceded and uh, knocked out from the group stage uh, that, that's a hard one to take especially when the Euros before we played the final so things can change in some years Definitely. And I think we see, we'll, we'll see a lot of, the, I think this Euros now 2022 is going to be super exciting. Probably the most close it's ever been to, which is going to be yeah super exciting to see. And it will be your fourth Euro tournament with Norway. Yeah, it will be. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you ever start taking those tournaments for granted or is it just like... Uh, no, you don't because they don't happen that often. Like it's been five years now since the last Euros because of COVID. Um, so yeah, that, you don't, you never take them for granted. Uh, I feel now it's been too long ago since the tournament uh, when we had the World Cup in 2019. It's already three years ago soon. Uh, no, you never know. You never take them for granted. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow or next month or in a year. So, and that's what you kind of play for, you train for uh, every day to be able to to play in a tournament. How, how do the tournaments stand out from, well, the qualifiers and uh, the friendly games? It's just something completely different. Uh, it's more intense, of course. You have games every every three days, four days, and I'm not completely sure. Um, everyone is so prepared. Uh, you can't really afford to do mistakes. You need to be on top of your game. The whole team needs to be. Not only one or two players can be the best because you, you rely on the whole team. So like I can make sure that I am in the best shape possible, uh, but I rely on all of my teammates to be the same and we need to work together. And then, of course, I'm saying it's more intense. You have uh, you have the games, uh, you have media, uh, the recovery you normally get um, is shorter. You need to be so good and and smart about what you do in between the games. Um, you're staying somewhere else. You can't just go home. Uh, in your own bed, in your own house. You can't see whoever you want to. You can't be around family and friends all the time. So it's important to to have a good group of people around you uh, and to also be a good person to be around. Uh, and then if you have bad days in the tournament or maybe go to your room and don't show everyone because it's going to affect everyone around you. So you need to be kind of, you need to, yeah, I would say try and be the best version of yourself, especially around the team and give the energy you can. And then obviously when you come uh, to the end of a tournament, you, you probably don't have much energy left. Um, but I think that's also that comes with experience when you have been in a lot of tournaments, you kind of know what you should be using your energy on and, and not. So it's a lot of different factors. And I think um, probably those who are first travelers, they don't realize what it is before they've been through a tournament. 
I have two more questions before we go through to the tactical analysis where you're going to have to dig deep into football. Um, but <laughs> what do you think the year 2022 will mean for for women's football in general, but also for Norwegian women's football? Yeah, I think, uh, like you mentioned, it's probably going to be one of the tightest tournaments ever. Uh, just seeing how it was in the in the World Cup 2019, uh, in the quarterfinals, there were seven European teams. Uh, so that just means that Europe is really doing well in terms of having good national teams. Uh, so I think it's going to be really tight and that is just good. Um, you have uh, players playing in the best leagues in the world, uh, or yeah, here in Europe. Uh, I think the interest is just growing and growing and England is probably a good place for it to be in. Uh, the men's years were here last year. Um, and I think, um, it's going to be a pressure on England. Of course, they play at home, which is a good thing for everyone, really, because it makes, makes it more interesting. Uh, all of their games are sold out. Um, and I know, I know from like, you always rely on doing well for your country to support you and be behind you. And I think, I think they will for sure. But I just remember we had uh, videos from from the World Cup in 2019, especially after we played against uh, Australia and the uh, penalty shootout. We got so many videos from back home where so many people had been coming to Kontraschere in Oslo, uh, where they normally send all like all the big tournaments. And there were so many there watching us going crazy. Like they were drinking and having fun. They were cheering us on. And when we saw those videos, we were like, wow, are so many people back home paying attention? Are they watching us? Like there were so many, I think it was over a million watching us at home. And that is a big uh, percentage of people watching us when we're five million people in Norway and one million of them was watching our game. So uh, it's an incredible feeling knowing that and hopefully we can doing that do that again this summer and the last question for me is we talked about you know the 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 time lapse between quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together jd power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store and now save 50 on the sleep number limited edition smart bed for a limited time for jd power 2023 award information visit jdpower.com awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com your first and your second cap and how how long that was. And then you talked about between your 150th to your 150th, 151st one, it was a long time too. How, how, how has that time been for you, you know, coming back from an injury? Oh, it's been, it's probably been the toughest year I've had in my professional career. Um, first of all, I've been really lucky my whole career, having not really been injured a lot. It's been more like small injuries that you're back after like a couple of weeks, maybe two months maximum. Um, and when it happened, I, I knew this was going to be, this was going to be a long time. Uh, I just had that feeling. 
And obviously, I had my scan. I think it was the next day. Um, and it was kind of positive answers on the scan. Um, told me it wasn't an ACL injury. Like that's the, I think that's everyone's biggest fear when they get any injury. Everyone automatically thinks, Oh, has she done her ACL? Um, and they said, good news. You haven't done it. Bad news. You need to have a surgery. Um, and, um, first they said, Oh, you'll probably be back in six months. I was like, okay, fine. But then after like over two months, I couldn't even walk properly. So I was like, mm, am I meant to play football again in four months? It doesn't seem right. Um, and then it just took longer and longer. Um, I was, I, I did my comeback in, in November for Chelsea, but I didn't feel right. But you keep telling yourself, this is going to be fine. I've never been through this before. Uh, so it's probably, it's probably just how I'm going to feel like for a little while because I have nothing to compare it to. But then we agreed, take a step back, do it properly. And then suddenly I was out for a year in total, um, which was probably the best decisions, decision we've done. But then suddenly you can kind of compare it to an ACL injury because that can take up to one year. So I was out for one year and um, you kind of start doubting the whole process. You start doubting yourself. Will you be able to do this again? Um, but now I can sit here and actually say I can actually play football again. And that's why I'm saying I'll probably enjoy it more than ever because I know I can. And then when I was um, getting ready to to come on against Poland for Norway and they said it was 530 days or something since since the last time I had played for my country then I realized like how long journey that had been like it's been of course it wasn't only because of my injury but it was also because of COVID um, that did that we didn't play for the national team for probably over six months um, but yeah no just being back uh, after the journey I've been through and all the hard work, I I don't think I can uh, explain how much it means to me to uh, actually be to be able to play football again. Because there was times where I didn't even think it was going to be possible. And and you talk about it, you know, after those two months, was that kind of? And you you say that it's been two months. You can you can still barely walk. And you're about to make your comeback in in four months. And it, was that at the time where you felt like maybe it's not possible for me to ever come back? Or was that something that you had with yourself during the entire process? Uh, I think I think I tried to stay positive. If you probably ask people that was around me and that was mainly my physios. Um, I don't they have they've, they've come to me a couple of times and said, like, can't really remember days you came in and where you were negative or where you gave up uh, because I think when I focus on something and that was from eight till five every day in my rehab I was like I'm gonna do this job and then uh, I can go home after and I can lay on the sofa and cry and be miserable but at least I know I've done my job I can't do anymore um, but yeah, after two months you can't really walk you're thinking how how am I ever going to be able to run if I can't walk um and then it's like if I can't run how the hell am I going to play football um 
But then sometimes you talk to people that have been through similar things. Um, I think for me it was a bit hard because I don't know anyone that's gone through exactly the same as me. Uh, and you can't really ever compare yourself to others because the journey is always going to be different. The rehab, someone has a good rehab where they don't have any setbacks. That wasn't for me. Like I had a bumpy one and had some setbacks. Um, but yeah, um, I think I'm glad that I tried to be positive and stayed focused through all of it. And it helps having people around you that just keeps pushing you. Um, so yeah, I think I admire physios and doctors more than I ever done. And maybe admire people that have gone through long time injuries more because I don't think you realize it before you are in it yourself. A lot of people have asked about, you know, you answer how, how you've coped during this time, but the support that you felt you're talking about, you know, the physios being there supporting you and how was it to feel the support from, from the fans and was that ever a motivating factor during your rehab? Yeah. Um, like after, after I had my injury and the day it happened, I, it was a bit overwhelming as well because so many was asking me what happened because I didn't know. So I couldn't really tell anyone and Chelsea couldn't really tell anyone before we knew what was going on. Uh, had so many messages, people asking, but then also just piece of, people sending you a heart like from everywhere uh, and and thoughts and, and the fans. Like I think they had talked to to Maria about what my favorite sweets was, but cause I got so much sweets, like my favorite sweets are licorice and uh, the Chelsea fans, they, they bought so much sweets from the Scandic kitchen in London. <laughs> so I got so many things and a card with so many people writing to me. Um, so yeah, and they made a banner for me. Um, that's still hanging there. <laughs> I think it says something like "Do it for Marum Yelda." Um, and also like my teammates. Um, like when I was there, I tried to be positive because I wanted them to do well. But they were still there for me. Uh, trying to be positive helped me with what they could. Um, one of the hardest things was that it was COVID, and I couldn't have my family flying over um because of covid no one could come to me to the hospital uh and be there for me uh, before or after the surgery so it was a really weird um, situation but at the same time i had my surgery only two days after uh, so i think i was still in shock so i didn't really realize what i was going through so now i'm actually glad because there's so many that have to wait probably a month to get their surgery and then you start thinking too much um, but I didn't have to think. I was like, okay, just get on with it, do it, and then take it from there. Definitely. And how are you feeling now? How's the knee doing? You know, the knee is so much better. Um, uh, still, I don't think it will ever be a good knee. Uh, but I can cope. I can play. Um, I said, as long as I don't feel anything while I'm playing, I don't really care. Uh, and then I have to do the job after training to make sure I don't get an angry knee. So probably for the rest of my career, I have to be sensible. Um, I have to, um, yeah, I need, I need to be nice to my knees. Probably <laughs> one of the body parts I have to be really good with, uh, for the rest of my career. And yeah, ice, ice a lot. 
I would say get a lot of treatment on it. Yeah. So no, I think I think uh, I think the body just need time to heal, uh, and it's got a good time. Like I had over a year, I still do all of the things I can. Um, so, but I still I still think they say it's going to take up to eighteen months before you feel kind of normal again. So I still have some time, and you're going to need that knee for the rest of your life. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's also one of the reasons why we just took a step back um, because I couldn't even walk downstairs without pain. Um, and that is not a cool feeling, like having to think about every time you're going to walk stairs. Oh, is this going to be? And then running to the train if because I'm, I'm always a bit late, maybe I, I'm always on time but I don't have the extra minutes that I need. So if I'm going to catch a train or something, I sometimes have to run, but that's not always comfortable because I haven't warmed up my knee. <laughs> so it's those things, but I think uh, I can live with that. That's fine. We have a lot of fans uh, asking questions about football analysis as well. So we know there, so we know there's an interest, but um I mean, since we are Swedish people, we, we have to ask you as one of the, competitors in in the euros this summer have you seen this uh, how to stop sweden guide uh yeah i have seen it uh, but i haven't really like looked much into it uh i heard some of the girls were talking about it in camp um i mean if they want to give people a guide how to stop them maybe we should use it i don't know <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the, it, it's kind of interesting as well, because when I spoke to Martin Sjögren, I think it was probably one and a half year ago or something here in Linköping, he, he's, we talked about the differences in cultures, you know, like winning mentality and, and the team culture and stuff like that between Sweden and, and Norway. And he said, oh, in Norway, they, they, they are winners, like, They they know they are good and they they want to win and in Sweden you are like oh no we can we can speak about how how good we are so <laughs> we don't want that no we're but I mean it's quite confident though to uh, to write or tell everyone how to stop them but they for sure they have all um, right to be confident I would say I think uh, they've been doing really well last couple of years. Um, and uh, should probably be seen as one of the favorites for the Euros. Yeah, we, we're glad you say that. We hope uh, <laughs> the the like uh, the Swedish mentality will will uh, be a bit uh, more. We are good, and we we're going to show it. Yeah, no, I think I think so because of the success that's been lately and. Um, I think earlier Sweden were probably seen more as an underdog, uh, but I don't think they can say that anymore. No, we can't. <laughs> that, that's, but but that's a good thing, I think. But you, yeah, yeah. you mentioned you 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 heard some of your teammates, or were you a part of this uh, a part of it as well? Speaking about this guy in your camp? Uh, no, uh, I I just heard someone talk about it because we also got questions from the media about it. Um, so I just found it a bit, I was like, oh, that's a bit, I don't think we would ever do something like that. But uh, I mean, um, I don't know if you can tell me how to stop the Swedish strikers, like at least then you give me some good information. <laughs> yeah. I mean, someone, someone has to start doing these guides. So 
it, it, I mean, now Sweden have done it. So we, we wait for the next country. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I usually ask this question and this is not in the script. Okay. <laughs> but uh, describe yourself as a football player from how you look at yourself as a, you know, person with abilities and. Ooh. Um, I would say I am quite calm on the ball. Uh, and also, uh, calm in terms of how to solve situations. I don't think I I stress too much. So calm is probably good in a both offensive and defensive way of my playing style. Um, uh, leadership in terms of communication um, to yeah sort out the team. It's probably easier when you play at centre-back to be able to uh, to tell everyone where to be and make sure that the team stays together. Uh, and then I would say um, I have a good uh, right foot. Yeah, not a, not a good not a good left foot, but a right foot. I, I lean on that a lot. <laughs> I mean, um, and and the story behind your I would say positions. Not just one position, because, I mean, you play as a centre-back for Norway. We've seen you dominate the right-hand side as a full-back in, in your club. Uh, but you have also played uh, as a midfielder. So talk about this. How how did you become a defender? Yeah, no, it's... Um, I was always a defender when I was younger. When I played with the boys, uh, I was always playing centre-back. Um And then I moved to um, Arna Bjarnar, uh, was my first senior club, and uh, started playing centre-back there as well. So it's been it's been a role that I've probably played the longest. But then I, I was really like eager to become better, especially on the ball in, in tight situations. And, and you don't really always get that being a centre-back, or you didn't at that time. Um, so my coach moved me into midfield because he could see that I had some, um, qualities going forward. Um, so that helped my game a lot to be in the center because things are happening around you, behind you, like everywhere. And you, you need to be sharper on your touches. Um, the, the choices you do, um, the passes need to be perfect. Like, and also the defensive part of the game. You can still control the players in front of you, but you have to listen to those behind you. Um, so I think it was when I, when I came to Chelsea, I was still, then I had gone many years playing. I think Anna Bjorn, I played centre back, moved to Germany and started off as a midfielder typical number six position um but then the coach wanted me to play one of the center backs in a three but we did a lot of man marking in germany uh it's a different different type of style of football that i wasn't used to but at least i got to practice a lot on my one v one defending uh which i think I, i learned a lot because you were kind of isolated and on your own doing the one v ones like i had to win it if i didn't they would go and score. And then I moved to Sweden for a little while. Then I went back into midfield, went to Norway for a couple of years, was still midfield and came to Chelsea, started off as midfield. Um, but then 
didn't take long because one of our centre-backs did her ACL. I think it was Anita Asante did her ACL. Um, so I went back and played in a three uh, in the centre there as a sweeper. And kind of from there, just stayed at the back, um, playing in a three, mainly as the centre. Um, and then I came back from an injury in 2009. 2018 and uh, started off as centre-back against Paris away in the semi-final no quarter-final of Champions League and then Emma just suddenly decided that I should play right back and after that I was stuck at right back at Chelsea so it's been it's been a lot of different positions but probably the last couple of years has been mainly right back and for Chelsea and centre-back for Norway. You you mentioned that uh, like As a centre-back, probably a few years ago, you didn't have to handle a lot of pressure and tight spaces. Do you think that that is something that has changed? Uh, yeah, I think it is changing because more teams are being more aggressive. Strikers, uh, wingers are so aggressive in their press. Um, so I think we see a lot of that now, maybe more high-pressed situations um that you have to deal with and the football is changing a bit like you have to kind of handle that uh build up play uh from the back and that's a part I really love because then I get to have the ball a lot um playing out and be a playmaker is something I like because I've been used to doing that as a center mid Um, but then at the same time, I do understand my role as a center back. I shouldn't be on the ball a lot because that's not where you score, but it needs to start somewhere. So with a good build up play from the back, um, I think you can sort a lot of, uh, the offensive part of the game for your team. Um, and you can see the whole pitch. And if people are high pressing you, there are spaces uh, somewhere else. So you kind of have a really like key role uh, as a centre back, especially in in uh, in a team. Yeah, for sure. And that like, and if we're looking at the the position and role as a defender uh, during your career, what what tactical aspect do you feel like you have grown the most in or learned learned the most about? I think. That part of the game, uh, playing out, but also how to be a bit cynical in a way. Because uh, it's all about like, yeah, it's always nice to see when a team plays out and they do, it, it looks nice and those, but if you don't create anything or you don't score a goal, like what's the point then? So you have to see both sides. Like I like, I like when it looks nice, of course, but sometimes the easiest way to goal is also a good way um, and to different styles of play and probably coming to England there is a lot of the physical game I think that has probably helped me um, they are like the English players are tough they like a good tackle uh, so that was a part of the game that I probably had to change a bit to be more physical more aggressive Um And then also like to be a bit cold and calm when you actually win the ball because it's it's easy to say oh, we're gonna be aggressive we're gonna press we're gonna but then if you if you just give the ball away when you want it again there's no re- point really so it's about that be 
be really aggressive when you can, but then be calm to do to get the ball back in the team again. So um, I think that's one of the parts I've loved about being here is that I get to train on that a lot. Do you, I mean, we have so many question, questions every time. It seems like you think that that this is something people actually see when when they watch the game, but they always want to know the differences between leagues. And and I mean, the football has developed a lot. Uh, I mean, over the years as well. But you've played in Sweden for a little bit, uh, at least, uh, and then you played in Germany, like you said. And you mentioned the one we we won and man marking. But then now you've played many years in England, and and I feel like the football in England, just looking, I mean, over the past past few years, it changed a lot as well because you have to adapt uh, on what's happening in Europe. Um, but but what do you feel is the biggest differences that you have? Yeah, uh, no, I think it's hard to compare it now because I've been here for five years. But when I was in Germany, what I was talking about. Then I felt that was really physical, maybe especially in terms of every day in training and the the hours and the amount of training that we did. Like I, I would never be able to do that again <laughs> because it was really hard. But then the girls were really fit. They could like maintain, they could do the high press, they could do the one we ones the whole game. So I felt that that was one thing that I really learned a lot from um and then you have the Norwegian league that I think they need to develop more like the physical aspect the technical the, the, there's things but they need the references um and you don't always get that when you don't get to play against top teams in Europe um because one of the things I feel is when you as a player watch the games on TV There's different. There's a different thing watching it on TV or and actually being on the pitch yourself because then you can feel what the level actually is. Um, and I think if you if you have players coming into say our training environment from a lower from a lower level, they will be a bit shocked. Like, oh, is this how quick it is? Um, yeah, I had my brother over. Um, this weekend and he was watching our training and he was like, all of you just look so fit. Like, and everything goes so quick. Your technique, like it's, it just looks so sharp. Um, but there's also a thing like it hasn't always been like that here in England either. There's been, there's been a development over the years, mainly because the bigger clubs have gone in and they have invested in the women's game. Uh, you have so many good resources around. You have so many staff, like full-time staff, full-time players. Everyone is just focusing on playing football. That's our job. And of course, that's going to be an advantage compared to other leagues that are not fully professional. Um See, I think there's many, many different factors. Um, but then you can say, like, for example, for us, we have a lot of tough games in England every year. There's a tight and competitive league. So we know every game is going to be really hard. Um, but then this year in the Champions League, we struggled. Um, maybe because we weren't good enough to control the game. 
games we were playing against the other teams. Um, so I think we realized like we need to play against other European teams to know like there are different styles of football and maybe we wanted to be really quick because that's when we play our best football when we're aggressive um, when a tempo is high but then you can suddenly meet teams that are maybe better technical and are able to like slow the tempo down Uh, maybe we will get frustrated but it's a it's a bit like maybe maybe they struggle when they meet us because things are really quick and and yeah so it's it's a good it's been a good challenge for us even though we didn't go through from the Champions League group stage I think we learned a lot because in Europe there's often actually about controlling the games which I think maybe especially Barcelona has been doing really well over the last couple of years they're able to control the toughest games. And I think that's one of their biggest strengths. I need to ask you this now, because I, I mean, about the Champions League and leagues, and, and we all we all know from watching that the, the, the WSL is a competitive league and it's a tough game and, and stuff like that. But do you feel like there's a gap in the women's game with... Um, I mean, like how to adapt. Um, you have to adapt to another type of playing style when going into the Champions League. And is there maybe one space or, or gap that, that the leagues around Europe have to adapt to when going out to play that tournament? Yeah, I think it's, it's actually a, it's a hard question though, because say when we play the the top teams here in England, it is it's really competitive. We have to be at our best to win. Um, and that's going to be the same for, say, Barcelona in, in Spain. Like, the toughest teams there, like, it's got, it's going to be a hard, it hasn't looked that hard this year, but they, they have been doing really well. Uh, all credit to them. And then you see in France, the top teams there, like, but then it's a tif- different type of game when you go into Champions League. There's, it's maybe a bit more like a tournament feeling how it is for the national teams because um, you can prepare well uh, for that type of game. Uh, at the same time, it's a, it's a different type of game in the middle of your season. So there's so many things to focus on. Like on Sunday, we face Man United, but on Wednesday, we play PSG. Like how do you, it's just, you have to change it a bit because you're not used to playing against them. Uh, whereas the English teams were used to playing against them, so we know their strengths, we know their weaknesses. But against the PSG, a Lyon, a Barca, it's a different, it's a totally different type of game, and it's it is it is about playing them often enough, I think, to be able to know what to do. But unfortunately, we don't get to do that because maybe once a year in a semi final, in a quarter final, in a final. Um, but you learn a lot. We learn a lot from Champions League this year. Last year, uh, our road to the final, how the final went. Um, on a good day, the result could have been totally different. Um, but they, they had been in the Champions League final before Barcelona, um, where they lost to Leon, a hard loss for them. Um, they were never going to, do that again I feel they were so on it uh, and we were the newbies in the Champions League final it's a it's a lot of um, 
if you have the experience, I think it will take you take you far. So I think this group, if if we had been playing a Champions League final again, I think it would have been hopefully a, a bit different. Yeah, for sure. And I feel it's like you have you even even though uh, you play them once in a while, you have to like trust your own playing style and your own abilities because you have to test them if they work. Mm. I, I I get the feeling that it's like that for with for as an individual player as well to to see how good am I am I this good or yeah and I know that in our team we have good enough players like we are one of the best teams in Europe um, but uh, yeah like they have their style we have our style and I think if we <laughs> yeah you can't really change your style because that that's that's the way we play that's what we're good at but on that day. They they just seem to be a lot better than us, and uh, of course a hard one to take, and it was a hard one to watch uh, because I've seen the journey the team have had, um, and and we were better than ever. Like for us, we were always like maybe quarter final, semi final. That has been our maximum, but now we're up there. We know we are capable of reaching a final in the Champions League, and. Um, yeah, that's where we want to be. But of course, uh, I think now it's come more to how to control those tight matches. Yeah, for sure. And and go going from from that into Norway uh, this summer, it's the women's uh, Euros, as we probably all know by now. But what what do you feel? What is Norway's like? Playing style. We have a couple of really good individual players. I think everyone know knows about that. But at the same time, it's it's about the team really, uh, a unit. Uh, we need to be able to work together. Um, I feel we've always been a good defensive team. That's been probably what Norway's been for so many years, um, and that can take you far, of course. Uh, but you need to be able to, as I mentioned earlier, how to solve maybe the, the first press, the build up play, um, to keep the ball. Because if you can't keep the ball, you, you're going to be chasing the whole time. You will get tired. Um, so, so hopefully we'll have many good talented players. Um, I feel like all teams, all countries now, like, technically so much better than some years ago um the physical level the physical demands going into a tournament you you rely on people being at their best uh physical shape uh to sustain a whole tournament um and i think that's also something that's always been a strength of ours as well probably a bit similar to sweden always been physically really good um so that and yeah have the x factor and some some players uh, that can do things on their own i think ev- all teams rely on that anyway uh, but yeah i think i think we have a young not too experienced group um but i think yeah, the togetherness and and that we could uh, potentially take us take us far so last question i always get um, you're gonna have a chance to tell our lis- our listeners why they should come to England this summer and watch Norway play ball. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna say yeah, that we have the one of the 
couple, maybe three of the best attacking players in the world for the moment. <laughs> so if you want to see some good, good goals, good dribbles, um, no, I think, I think, what I've heard from earlier is that people like watching us because it looks like we are a team. We are together. Um, we always encourage each other. Um, and uh, that spirit, I think uh, a lot of people would like to be a part of it. Uh, so uh, hopefully that is something people can see. And then we, we will do everything to win. Um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the winner mentality is something I think we're born with. How proud we are to represent our country um, is probably one of the, the biggest things for us as well. So, um, and I, th- I don't think it's ever. I don't think it ever gets boring watching Norway because so many things can happen. At Fernström, Lina on Twitter wants to know: How do you keep your mindset on before every game, and how do you think about challenges you might face in your career, both with the team and individually? I think. We play games so often, um, so I think not make it a bigger thing than it is. Really, um, you have uh, you have not always a week to prepare, but you have some days to prepare. This game is coming up. Uh, we go through um, analysis of the teams, the players. Um, you replicate that in training or trying to. So doing that, you kind of feel safe. Um, and like focused going into match day and on the match, you, you never know what's going to happen, but you can try, you can only do your best, um, going into it. And during the game, a lot, a lot of things can happen. So I think always just stay focused. Don't think too much of what, what's going to happen in the next situation, but just be in that situation. Um, what I think I can control is myself and how I communicate to people around me. Uh, and so sometimes take the focus away from myself. I try to help the players around me instead, because if I do that, I think I can grow my confidence. I can see that they, that they, uh, will do better just by me, like giving them encourage or telling them what they're doing good. I think that keep, keeps me on my toes as well. Jack Swales, um, how how does it feel to be a part of Chelsea and to be Norway's captain? Um, yeah, to be a part of Chelsea. Uh, I've been almost five and a half years here now. And there's a reason for that, because I enjoy every day. Um, I am a part of a group that always want to win. Uh, and we have won a lot uh, over the years and we still want to win even more. So that keeps keeps my motivation going. Um, and yeah, it makes me happy to be a part of such a big club uh, that are really ambitious. Um, and yeah, ambitious group, ambitious uh, staff, ambitious coaches, manager that always want to become better. So um and I want that as well. So then it's a, it's a good match. Uh, and yeah, I, I mentioned it earlier in this podcast that I am really proud to be captain of my country. Uh, I've been here for a couple of years now or more than that, but, um, putting the shirt on, putting the, the amber on, um, is something I'm really proud of. But I know how proud I make my family and my mom and dad, my brothers, um, 
uh, I think I realize it more when they tell me like how big it is for them. And then I sometimes have to like just stop and think about it because for me, it's just, it is just to play football, but it's kind of more than that. And to lead my country, to leave my, my team out, especially, especially every tournament. And when you stand there and you listen to the national anthem, it is, it's always a proud moment. Dean Mears wants to know, as a player that can play in multiple positions, how easy slash difficult is it to step into a different role during a game? Um, I think when you know your position before the game, of course, then you can prepare well. And it's, yeah, I can probably play. I think the only positions I've never played my whole life is probably in a senior game is goalkeeper and striker. Um so I think it's both it could be a positive and a negative but I've always seen it as a positive that I can play different positions because I know that I will always be needed in a team um, and before a game you get to know the position you're playing and you can control that and you know from training what you've done how you've prepared how you can prepare yourself what players you're coming up against but during a game it could be a bit harder but at the same time I think that's when the experience come in because it doesn't take me long to get to be familiar with the position again and Luckily, I play in a really good team, so I will always have good players around me that would help me. So if there are things that I'm not always sure about, I just tell the person next to me, uh, can you help me a bit with this? It's new to me, maybe. Um, and just just take a bit of control and then I get warm and then, then it's going to be fine. So, yeah. Dan Hill, describe your favorite moment as a Chelsea player. Uh, and he also wants to say how incredible you are as a player uh, and as a person having battled back from such a difficult injury. We are lucky to have you in blue. Oh, no, that's nice. Really nice to hear. There's been so many good moments. Um, I think um, the first trophy I ever won, like my whole life, <laughs> my whole football career, was the FA Cup against Arsenal in 2018. Um, such a big moment, uh, for me, um, like the whole, the whole day, the lead up to the game, uh, I would always say that I'm quite calm, but that day I was like, I was nervous, uh, felt a bit uncomfortable, not a nice feeling because yeah, I, I do get nervous, but not like it's actually a bit painful. Um, And then even, even though I know we were winning in the end, I still had that feeling. So it was just a big, like, relief when we won. Um, that's a really good moment for me. The first ever trophy. Um, then, yeah, there's been so many games. I think all the trophies are so good. Uh, one for four league titles. Um, Uh, on a personal level, there's been there's been some good goals. Um, everyone mentions the PSG one uh, away in the in the Champions League. Uh, not just for that reason, because then I had been out injured for five months, so it was one of my first games coming back. 
playing. So it was a good moment to to come back with a goal like that. Um, but yeah, no, there's been leagues, finals, yeah, and hopefully one again uh, soon on Sunday. At not underscore Carlisle on Twitter wants to know, after the League Cup win last season in which you were unfortunately injured, how much did it mean to you that the players brought your shirt out to celebrate? Yeah, no, that meant a lot. I um, I didn't know before I saw the pictures. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I know it was hard for a lot of the girls. It wasn't probably a nice feeling continuing the game when, like, I almost feel more sorry for them because... I wouldn't have felt comfortable playing after I've heard someone <laughs> screaming like that. Uh, but, you know, that meant a lot. It just shows how much people care and um, how much, yeah, you feel really valued. And, and I still, when I still see that picture, I I still want it. I, I was still a part of the celebration. Um, so, uh, no, it was, it was really nice to see. Last question. At... Uh, RJP Journalism, what's your tactic for penalties? Do you plan ahead or decide at last minute? <laughs> That's probably something you should never say, is it? Uh, no, I think... Uh, yeah, no, I have been taking a lot of penalties during my career. I've missed some. I've scored a lot of them. Um So I think I think one thing that's really good for me, and I don't think anyone can steal that from me unless they are in my team, is that I get to practice on one of the best goalkeepers in the world, which is uh, on yeah, uh, Anne Katrin Berger. Um, we do a lot of practice together, which benefits both me and her. So, uh, um, and we go through different things and different tactics. But you shouldn't really uh, tell everyone about it because then people people can take advantage of that but no I I feel like penalties are just I don't know it's a psychological game really um the goalkeepers they have probably studied you you have studied them it's just it's a it's a mind it's a mind game uh and um you just have to try and control the situation uh, yourself and not focus too much about anyone other than yourself so um Probably some of the things. And then, yeah, I am lucky to, to be able to train together with some good goalkeepers. And not only Anne, like we have Sashira as well. So uh, top, top goalkeepers that uh, you can share some information with during during trainings. But when it comes up to tournament, it's probably going to be different if you face them. We've uh, we've come to the last section. The this or that rapid questions, rapid fire questions. Um, I will kick it off. And I usually get so heated. So I just ask the questions really fast, which I shouldn't. <laughs> I should just ask them and like, but I get heated. I'm like, Ugh. okay. And then I catch myself. But um, I'll try to I, I'll try to be slow. But a back three or a back four? Uh, back four. Playing your way out of the first line of pressure with a perfect one touch pass together with a teammate or dribble your way out of it on your own? Uh, play together with teammate. Yeah. Good pass. Start a Perfect attack from the back that will lead up to a goal or square one yourself? Uh, from the back. A perfectly timed slide tackle or intercepting a pass that is about to break the lines? 
Oh, I love a tackle, a slight tackle. I would say that it looks good. That's true. Coming on from the bench to make an impact to get the win or be in the starting lineup in a mediocre game where you either lose or draw. Ooh. I'll, I'll say the coming in from the bench because that's my situation right now. And we've reached the end of this podcast. Modern, thank you so much for being a part of it. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was really good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 